hey, you know what? If you like this podcast that I appreciate you've not listened to yet because this is right at the start, but if you listen to this and find out you do like it, then afterwards go onto the computer or phone and search for The Lush Podcast. It's the podcast where Lush, unsurprisingly, The Lush Podcast, talk about the things that we think you'd be interested in hearing. So check it out. It's called The Lush Podcast. And the easy way to remember that, how I remember it, is it's a podcast made by Lush. Cool. Have a listen. I might even host one time. You never know. Probably not after this audition. Go on. Hi, and welcome to Tiny Revolutions at the Edinburgh Fringe, live from the Gilded Balloon. Tiny Revolutions is a podcast all about whether comedy can be a positive force for social change. And I'm very excited. I'm going to bring the first guest up. We're going to get straight into it because you're going to love her. She has a lot to say. So uh, please put your hands together, start the clapping and weeping. And welcome to the stage, the fantastic Lynn Roos Miller. Disappear. Uh, yes, Lynn is worried that she's instantly going to disappear into the chair without, a, without an extra cushion. Um, so you have to scream. They won't be able to, uh, to, to see this when they listen to the podcast, but you look pretty banging, Lynn. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a great outfit. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's important straight away. I've made this all about looks, and I didn't mean to. No. Um, so Lynn is someone I've known just by way of introduction before we get into the questions properly. Lynn is someone I've known for a few years in stand-up comedy, and is a bit of an icon to me, because I think what she's doing is pretty spectacular. Um, and even if she may not describe her comedy as political, I think it is. So that would be my first question, I guess. Do you think what you do in stand-up is political in tone? My God, I hope so. I hope that I'm making it easy for all of you when you become uh, 85, uh, to have a profession and have a dream and go after it and not be ramming into one glass wall after another. That's what I'm hoping. I believe that Joan Rivers made it possible for us. Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller. And I am trying. I'm trying to show people that, that as, as somebody who's in their 80s, I can give you the same quality if I hear one more person saying, oh, you look good for your age, I'm going to need them. <laughs> I, because I, because I want the same quality, quality the same. I, I want to be judged on an even playing field. I don't want extra points for being old, and I don't want to be demeaned because I'm old. I don't want people to say, "Oh, she's got ten minutes, but my God, try to give her fifteen, she'll drop dead." You know, I don't want anything like that. She'll be in, <laughs> be in the we'll need the coffin ready. I don't want that, and and I want people, I want it to be an attitude that people feel, and if you, you, you're like that, you, you look at what I do, not, not well, I expose who I am as well. I think it's incredible. I love it, because you are as fiercely uh, ambitious and hungry Very. for everything, and that is something you share with Joan Rivers. I remember watching in the documentary A Piece of Work. She opens up her diary and she says, this is fear if I've got empty dates. Oh and, yeah, I'm that way. And then they talk about who she's influenced and she was like, no, I'm still here. Like mm -hmm. she's just like, I don't care who's coming through. I'm still here, I'm still in the mix. And you very much, you met my friend Jenna the other night who's doing the podcast tomorrow and she was like, what a spark plug Lynn Ruth is. <laughs> like, she's like, yes. So I, I feel like just, yeah, your presence is political, but you talk about some things, you touch upon some things in your comedy that I think really sort of speak to how far 
we've come as as women. Oh God, yes. Yeah, because that was it. And I was talking, I was talking to Victoria. We dressed for men. We just, the hardest thing for me is to realize I'm no longer an item. I do this little thing about, aha, I'm a gilf. You have to think about that. No, nobody's getting it there. Gilf. But I'm not a gilf because nobody wants to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's okay. You can swear on this podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, the gilf is a granny I'd like to fuck. And it's, uh, I, I, they don't. <laughs> Unless they're really insecure and having a hell of a time getting it up. They think, well, she won't know anyway. But that's... <laughs> I, I think that's a really interesting point because <laughs> there's all this no, the, well, oh, there's all this talk about sexism, and uh, I had a line a couple of years ago of like kind of not realizing uh, that you missed it until it was gone, and so people listening going no sexism is bad, but I walked into a bar it's just a change of perception, and a guy said to me excuse me, and I was like oh, yes, sort of flicking my hair. And he's like, no, no, just excuse me. I'm trying to get a drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. This and is, this is and that's, that was a point where I was like, I didn't think I'd miss sexism, but I was like, oh, something's changed. I'm less visible. Because if you're told your whole life that's what you're worth, if your parents or your family are going, no, the only time you matter is when you are vis visible as this sexual being to men, otherwise no one cares. Oh, and it's, it's more than that, and you've got it too. It's also having children. Yeah. Yeah. My mother had a bulletin board, and she had my sister's three children and my dogs. My sister never forgave her, yeah, for my because my mother needed those grandchildren. So she also had a schnauzer. Of course, I still have a schnauzer, but this is a dog. This is my this is my great grand schnauzer. Yeah, this is my great grandchild. <laughs> a schnauzer, a poodle, and a. <laughs> so I remember having a conversation with you. I mean, because you have so many fascinating stories, but there was a conversation one night at Old Rope. Maybe someone had gone on and spoken about sex. And you said to me backstage, and I was like, you have to put this in your show. You went, sex in the 50s. I didn't even know you were allowed to move. Yeah, oh, no, that's right, because you said to me, this woman said to you, I just found out I was allowed to move. I said, I didn't know that either. I think it must have been like fucking a board. I just... Yeah, so the I idea didn't of... No, I didn't know. I didn't know it, I could participate in the act. I did not know it. It makes me a little bit heartbroken, though, for you to know you just the words of going, we didn't know we, we could participate or that it could be something that you could actively engage in I and enjoy no and idea. take agency over. I had no idea that I, had, that I was to be anything but willing. That was it. What a word. Wow. Just w willing. Willing. And even if you weren't willing, it was going to happen oh, anyway. Oh, if you weren't willing, you were in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. This is why you've come so far, ladies. You think you have so far to go, but I cannot tell you. You don't wear corsets, for God's sake. Stand <laughs> up and cheer. You've got ribs. <laughs> I had crushed. <laughs> well, I do, I, do think, um, I do think there's a very distinct generational line there because I was talking to my mother about this recently. My uh, cousin, Jane, who listens to the podcast, she's 10 years older than me. She's hardcore feminist. Um, her mother and my mother are cousins and they used to work at Denim Film Studios together. And we were talking about sexism. It was at a funeral, which is inevitably where all your family meet up. And um, we were talking about sexism and then my mum and her cousin Cynthia were like, ugh, you girls. She was like, we used to work in the dark room. We used to work at the film studio. You'd go in the dark room, you'd get felt up. And you just dealt with it. Didn't go on about it like you lot did. And we were like... We're so sorry that that happened and oh. you felt like you couldn't 
say anything. This is your workplace. This is an environment you go into every day and you just have to be harassed and harangued and it's, and it's not fair. But there's more to this than that. My, uh, the, uh, in the, I think it was in the 80s, uh, there was this big thing about suddenly women would wake up and say, I was abused by my father. There was a whole thing like that in San Francisco. And I have a friend whose name was Kathleen, and she said, yeah, my sister, my sister said that my father abused, abused her. And then she looked at me and she said, he never did that to me. And I thought, that's because we're taught to appeal. I mean, it's so horrible, it's horrifying that we're taught that we are to be, be appealing to men. And, we're, and, 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 and it's sort of the reverse of the Oedipus. And I thought, that's awful. Well, there, there's something in that of going, that's a special kind of like warped, it's attention and love, and there's, there's so many, I mean, it's so complex First, to love unpack. Sex is not love. Yeah. If you have not learned that, I'm telling you that sex is not love. You've learned something. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't love. Yeah. Did you, when you started doing stand-up, did you come in with the aim to challenge people's perceptions? Or were you like, I just want to be funny? Because you started at 71, right? 70. 70 is when I took that class because I was going to write about it. I was going to write a, a story about it. Um, y y people have read about this. You do things all your life. You do jobs and you do jobs and you do things. And I've loved every single thing I've done. I really have. I love teaching. I loved... Um, I love it. You know, I was a telephone madam. Oh, I love that. I was, I was a professor. I, I wrote books, and then I was a feature writer. Then I had a. But all of a sudden, you find something. You say, "Oh my God, I love this," and you don't think about the money you can make. You don't think about anything. But I just want to do this again. I want to stand up in front of all these people and make them laugh. And it has to do with. It's not just the laughter. It has to do with the approval. I'm a woman who lived alone, and I mean alone, since I was 25. Right. So nobody's been in the house except for the dogs and the cats. Nobody. And really alone. And when I go out, I was doing feature writing, so I would ask you questions, and I'd write down what you said. Or I painted pictures. So I, I, I painted. So everything, I was totally solipsistic. Well, I am solipsistic anyway, but my life was solipsistic. And all of a sudden, I'm communicating with the world I didn't even know was there. I cannot tell you the thrill I had of talking to people your age, and all of you are different ages, but at that time I was 70, and you heard me, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, because I was a big, I was reject, I was a reject. I wasn't rejected. Was it a yes. feeling of visibility? Visible, I felt loved. I mean, the joke I always tell is, after I did the Cobbs comedy, club, which was the final exam for this thing. This kid came up to me, and he must have been about 17, full of acne, and he said to me, would you sign my ticket? And I thought, oh my God, he loves me. And I didn't have to make him dinner, and I, <laughs> I didn't have to change the sheets. I'm doing this again. And that's what happened. That's, that's really what I, it had. I didn't know stand-up was a, was a profession, but I knew I found something I loved. And the thing... I get really emotional. The thing that was so difficult is I never dreamed that nobody wanted me to do it again. 
Nobody in the profession wanted me to do it again. I still can remember there was a man named Tony Sparks who was the, the king of comedy in, in, in San Francisco, and I, I just adore him. And he came to see me, and I was wiping up the room, and this is the second or third time I did it, and, and, and nobody would book me. Nobody would book me. And when I tried to get agents, agents would say, nah, she's going to die next year. Well, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> I'm still here. And, and he was the one that, 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 that made people notice me. But I still couldn't do it. And, I, and that, 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 that we have a world where you have a talent. You have something you can do. And it just won't let you do it. And I get, that's why I get angry. You're getting me started with the fringe. Because young people with beautiful talent come and they say, I've got a great show. And they say, well, you can do the show if you have 5,000 pounds to pay the venue and you have 10,000 pounds for PR. And then we prostitute you. And then, whoops, you're going to get a one-star review. Lucky you. <laughs> and I, that's wrong. Yeah. Well, I always put you on at my show because I, I adore what you do. And there's no one else like you. And the audiences love you. And in fact, I had an argument with a big comedy club over booking Lynn. They'd had her to do oh, an he open won't do spot. It. <laughs> and they had to do an open spot, and the discussion was, well, she just talked about being old. What and I looked around the table, and there were six bald men that I'd been on with at the gig that night, mm -hmm. in their 50s and 60s, who all talked about being middle class and parents, and they'd all done the same material. And I was like, eight? They'd all talked about age. And they were like, well, so we might get back for another 10. I was like... She's in her 80s, just book her. Please just give her a weekend of gigs. Like, honestly, she gets standing ovations. It's madness that you can't see it. It's, it's not going to clash with anyone else on the bill. So I do, my, my bit is trying to get Lynn on at my show as much as I can. But I, I can I tell it. you, if I was a television producer, I would have Lynn on every show. Like, there's no one else like you. There's no one else like it's, you. It's because I gave them all arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> I got rid of them, that's it. But it's, it's, it's the, I don't want the world not to allow talent, any kind of talent, to flourish. I think it's just so wrong. Well, it, I, and I think, but you may not have acknowledged what you've already done or what you've already changed perception-wise. Hope so. And, and how people respond to you. Because we met for a lunch I wanted to share this story, and we were in Muswell Hill, we'd had a long lunch, and we talked about, and this is how ambitious Lynn is, she was like, right, let's go to LA, let's get these, we'll oh, get, yeah, booked I really on these, do that. get booked on these gigs, and uh, we, so we'd had this long lunch, we came out, and this woman came over, and she was like, excuse me, and I, I, again, it was like in the bar with the guy, I was like, this is a woman who's seen me on television, and she <laughs> grabbed Lynn's hand and said, were you in a play? And Lynn said, yes. What was the play that you'd done? It was, a, it was Cinder, Cinderella, but I think it was a Jewish Cinderella thing, and it was terrible. And I was, <laughs> I was doing lines, and I was dying to change the lines because I think I could have been funnier. But I was, the, I was the grandma. It was a Jewish Cinderella. It had a funny name. Yeah. But it was, uh, uh, and it was... Um, was it Cinderella? Cinderella. Cinderella, <laughs> Cinderella, Cinderella But whatever it was, I was the granny. I was the granny. And uh, I really didn't think it was that great. But she, I'm still friends with her. She's lovely. So this woman came over and she was like, I just loved you. And it meant so much to me to see you up there. Because I would say this was a, you know, an older woman. I don't she's, know how she's old. in her 60s. 60s, yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting kind of... I, I just think that someone seeing that is going... 
if you can, I can. Yeah, I want to tell you, I really want to tell you this, because this just happened. I was walking down the Delroy Road, and this woman came out of a, a coffee shop, and she said, oh, you're Lynn Ruth Miller, which, of course, I need to be reminded, because sometimes I forget. But she said, yeah, <laughs> you're Lynn Ruth Miller. She said, you probably don't remember, which I didn't. She said, but I told you, I, her name is Maya Burton, or something like that, and she said, I told you I wanted to do a one-woman show, and you said to me, well, then go do it. She said, and now I've been at the yeah, now I've been at the Prague Festival. I don't know what that is, and, and she's doing it, and and that is marvelous. If I can give people the courage to try, because that's all it is, is 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 to try and not to give up, not to say, oh, the world doesn't want me, because the world doesn't want the more the world that's successful doesn't want anyone horning in. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to get that anyway. Have you ever had, so there's two examples there, have you ever had an email or anything like that from someone, a fan, saying, the time I saw you do this routine made me think about something different? Yeah, they all, love, they all love the one about at my age, you don't have to worry about meeting their parents. I get that all the time, yeah. <laughs> so I told his mother, go fuck herself. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> the nice thing about being at my age, dating at my age, is you don't have to meet, worry about meeting their parents. Everybody remembers that one. And it's... Uh, uh, yeah, and I get a lot of emails. I, you know, I don't remember any off, off the cuff. I remember there was one woman. I do a, a one-woman show where I talk about getting into an RV and traveling around south, the southern United States alone with the two dogs and the two cats and no cell phones. I still can't believe I did that. And because I believe that if you believe you're sa- I don't believe in being afraid. Well, you know that. I just yeah. don't believe in being afraid. You can't what if world the world. Anyhow, this woman said to me, well, when I heard that you did it, I thought, okay, and I went and bought an RV. Yes, there you go. Well, that are- is a tiny revolution, and that's what the podcast is all about. It's, it's um, you know, all well said, each joke is a, is a tiny revolution. Oh, and, and, and don't think that stand- stand-up comedy is what you're angry at. My stand-up comedy is what I'm furious at. I mean, I don't stand there and say, I'm mad. Instead, I say something ridiculous and filthy, and you think it's funny. But I'm fighting. I'm fighting that. I'm fighting. I'm saying I'm a person. I'm see a person. Me. See me. Yeah, see me. <laughs> and do you think, in terms of, because I was sort of talking about this a bit, I suppose, in my show, I'm talking a bit about gender mm, and class. So important, that show. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Nice. But it's true, it is. Remember I told you Anna Quinlan, and if you don't know Anna Quinlan, you should read her. She's a nice Catholic girl, she's wonderful. She said this, when men try to control women's bodies, that's when the coat hangers come out. And I am still appalled at the man that was um, exonerated for raping this woman because she was wearing frilly underwear. I still, that was in Northern Ireland. I'm just appalled at that. Yes, I'm her a- underwear was bought in as part of the court testament, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, a, I'm appalled at, 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 at men, men saying, you've got to have that baby. Let them eject a watermelon from their dick and see whether they're going to tell every woman, you have that baby. Yeah, yeah. I just... Well, your, bo- your bodies are policed. Again, even the thing of talking about you going, you just had to be willing, or even if you weren't willing, it was going to happen. That's the kind of control of the female experience and women's bodies that you know, has been happening for time immemorial. And, and something you have to understand, it's so ingrained in your attitude that you don't realize you're being, you're being uh, uh, prejudicial. You don't realize what you're doing. I see it with ageism. 
I just about kill people when they say, let me take your arm, but I can't get up those steps. I can't, you know, I, I really are, oh, you look good for your age. And I say, no, this is what it looks like. I get really angry, but I live in a, in a uh, what is it, sheltered housing with a bunch of old people who are all about 15 years younger than I am. And I am horrible. I see one of them with a walker <laughs> and I say, let me help you, darling. You know, I'm, I'm as condescending as what I'm because Do you see yourself as being your age or? No, I see myself as being me. Yeah. You That's see so yourself as being you. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Me. But I do think sometimes in, in, in your head, you know, I still have, and I'm, I don't by any way think I'm old. I no. turned 40 last year, but I, 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 I have dreams and in my dreams I'm in my 20s and then I wake up and go, oh, <laughs> I still think of myself as a viable human being, and I was, I was talking about that. I, I, I still see myself as a perfectly viable human being, and I think Judy Dench said it so well in that, what is it, James, James something, it was that movie, that, that video, with all the, the big uh, English stars that are in their 70s and 80s, and I don't remember all their names, but Judy Dench, and she said, I, I, she said, people talk to me like I, I can't hear and I can't see. And she was in the hospital and this, this man came up to her and said, are you ready for your little lunchy wunchy? And she said, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, not your lunchy wunchy. Yeah, there's not a bit of sharpness that has been lost. Yeah. Lynn is still, you know, you are, there's no like, oh, she's not on the ball, you're not, you know, you can be thrown into any situation and you have done before at Old Rope. And, and still come on and be brilliant and be off the cuff oh, and, you. you know. So I think what you're doing is massively important and I do think, how do you feel, um, this will be my last question that I want to ask you about, how important do you think it is to be partisan in, in your comedy or uh, like overtly political, I guess? Do you think that that, do you think being overtly political can change someone's mind? Yes, and I think that it's, it's always remember that when you're trying to get a point across, you have to exaggerate it a little. You have to exaggerate, you have to underline it. You have to repeat it in two or three different ways. And I think it's absolutely vital for the women in my audience to stop thinking of themselves as, as objects. I mean, you know, I always say to young women, your, your future's here, it's not there. And, 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 and it's, it's so important. And if I say it enough, it's just like when you read it in the paper, you say, well, I read it in the paper, it has to be true. I hope you all know that's not true. But you got, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's it. If they hear me say it and they look at me looking like an old woman, Telling them uh, that, that, that you know that that I I, I don't want to do a blowjob with anyone. I mean, just with somebody, just something. If I, they look at me and they see that I'm talking about the things they are having conflicts about, and I'm winning to them, to them, they don't know what's going on in my heart and in my head. They think I'm winning. They say, "Oh, you were just a real sassy person when you were young. You were a real player." I wasn't. I was a bookworm. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I told you about this, and I want to tell everybody that you, Adrian Rich is a poet um, from the 70s and 80s, and she's a a, a lesbian feminist, which uh, would probably turn a lot of people off. But what she talks about in her essays, her poetry, I don't like much, but her essays is how our whole construct of how we we lead our lives has been created by white privileged men, and we are in the process now. Of, of chipping away at that. So Unpacking yeah. it. Yes. yes, please. Yes. Thank you so much, Lynn Ruth. Um, let's have a round of applause for Lynn. That was incredible. Thank you.
there's something you need to hear. Our wildlife is under attack like never before. In a new 12-part series, Charlie Moores and Ruth Pesey explore the concept of a war on wildlife. With special guests and short interviews with activists, researchers and campaigners, this one is not to be missed. Find it where you find podcasts, as well as on the free Lush Player app, and you can even follow at War on Wildlife on Twitter. (laughs) 